Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity, the one true podcast. Uh, we've been eating weasels since January of 2009. Did you say weasels or weevils? <laughs> weasels. <laughs> and why have we been eating weasels? Well, we'll get to that in the podcast. Uh. Um, this podcast is about selected apocrypha, but before we get to the selected apocrypha, let's talk about the skunk dick of the week. Or we can talk about your horrible Hindu podcast. Whew, that was well, terrible. no one wants to talk about that. That's why we're moving on. <laughs> moving right along. Skunk dick candidates this week. Uh, Leighton, what do you got? We've actually got one being thrown in from one of our listeners, Alyssa, who actually comes from Utah. And she sent us in this beauty that, uh, that comes from her local newspaper called the San Pete Messenger. And uh, it, it's a letter sent in by a woman who's saying, don't get sucked into believing in global warming. Now, this woman argues that because our bodies are made of carbon, that carbon is not bad for the environment. That is so true. Yes. But on top of that... If carbon is bad, <laughs> we should get rid of human beings. Uh, she says they complain about the carbon dioxide. She's talking about environmentalists. Yeah. They complain about the CO2 caused by lakes. The hell? I don't know what she's talking about. Especially those evil lakes made by dams. It's so absolutely stupid and downright ignorant, <laughs> stupid and ignorant, to not be able to realize that carbon isn't a pollutant. We're made of carbon, so we do away with ourselves to save the world. <laughs> I, I can't even untangle that logic to attack it. It's, uh, it's pretty much ironclad. The only thing I can figure is she's saying that the dams themselves are making carbon uh, dioxide. That's the only thing I can fathom out of that entire thing. And she I don't also know. The, point- the lakes could be farting carbon dioxide. I've heard yeah. that. You know, those damn environmentalists say all types of wacky things. Yeah. Well, I'll admit, I have been stuck in a lake bubble once when I was diving down, <laughs> and that was very unenjoyable. So I can understand where she's coming from. Yeah, it was probably filled. Uh, with the carbon dioxide, which is <laughs> not a pollutant because we breathe it out every day. Yes, yes, not a pollutant. And because of this, it, th- this is the great part about this, she actually claims that uh, the reason why there's starving children over in Africa and these third world dry countries is because these environmentalists are stopping the governments from creating dams, thereby creating lakes, thereby feeding these children. Yeah. <laughs> she says, women and children in underdeveloped countries are dying at a very young age. Fortunately, it's not men, just women and children. <laughs> because the only way they can cook and stay warm is to have an open fire in their homes. That's why they're dying. Yes, yes. All the carbon dioxide that's coming out of the flames are killing them. <laughs> I personally am appalled that we teach it in school as if it were fact, and if you don't believe it, you're called a world traitor. What, is she living in Jack Chick Tract? (laughs) (laughs) This may be the inspiration for Jack Chick. He probably (laughs) runs across these letters and goes, Amen, sister. Well, it's quite the opposite, she says. You're a traitor to the good of all mankind when you allow yourselves to be sucked into something that's so far from the truth and light of knowledge. You're causing women and children around the world to be starving and cold because you give evil cause to block underdeveloped countries from having the power plants and industry they need to make life more like ours. Shame on you, environmentalists, and anyone who believes in global warming. Shame. For shame. I I am crying right now for these children (laughs) and their dams. Uh, My favorite part is how she winds it up. I beg all of you to study out information for yourselves. Don't believe everything in print. Use common sense and reason that carbon is good, not bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, Alice Lethem from Anti-Utah, I am not going to believe everything in print, therefore I'm going to toss your little letter out. That's Skunk Dick candidate number one. Thank you, Alyssa, or Elisa, however you say your name, for sending it in. Number two is sent in to us from listener Jason Ward. Uh, the title of this is Prayers Reflect Christian Heritage. Oh, God. 
this is in um, uh, North Carolina. It's a county mission, county commission meeting, because they've been saying Christian prayers. Apparently, you know, this came all about because the ACLU, that damn liberal organization, someone's uh, got to put a stop to them. <laughs> sued another county because they had ministers coming in and giving Christian prayers, saying that you know because and the, a federal judge upheld this, saying you know since you're pray, praying to a specific deity you're violating the constitutional separation of church and state. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the the government is favoring one particular sect over another. So their solution was, well, we'll just have Christians say prayers instead of Christian ministers. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I envision, I foresee, I'm prophesying another ACLU lawsuit in the future. But this uh, county, which is different from the county that got sued, uh, is talking now. They're having a town meeting about whether or not they should continue saying Christian prayers. And these quotes are amazing. Um, from Rudolph Heatherly, he says, "There has been prayer in these mountains since there been people in these mountains." I love how <laughs> the the actual writer had to add "have" in there to get since rid of this guy's uh, English country accent. <laughs> How about this one from Summy? I feel like my faith is being persecuted, Summy said. I don't care how anyone else wants to pray, but please don't take away my Jesus. Yeah, th- this type of persecution where you can't have a Christian prayer at a um, government meeting is indistinguishable from the persecutions of Diocletian. It's exactly <laughs> the same. <laughs> Well, I often light my gardens with a with a Christian, so... The, uh, many of the residents argued that the commissioners could not use a general prayer, but had to pray in Jesus' name. They said Jesus was the pillar of the Christian religion and had to be the foundation of any prayer. Um, not so alluding to Larry Marshall, who says, Those who believe in the name of a God have a right to pray to that God before a meeting. When you tell a person how to pray and when they can pray, you're interfering with their conscience. Wasn't that what everyone else said? <laughs> you can't just have a general prayer. you got to pray to Jesus. Now this guy says you can't tell people how to pray and when to pray. Like, you can fucking pray all you want. I don't give a shit. Just don't do it uh, in front of a county meeting. They can do, it do it silently except, in your head. They can do it like schools do, where you get all the crazy crazy Christian kids and they go stand in one little corner of the playground and they have like a morning prayer or something do that, we're okay with that but separate your Christian values before you go in and do a secular meeting. Correct, this is a secular meeting, dipshits Uh, it is a meeting that's paid for by the taxpayers cannot, 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 according to the constitution have, oh god a, a sectarian prayer. Well, that brings us right into skunk dick candidate number three. And uh, who might that be, Charlie? Well, this is Cynthia Dunbar of the Texas Board of Education. Um, hmm. One from Texas. I, I, I'm shocked. She She's just amazing. And you know what? We're just going to have to um, play this prayer for you. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and ask that you grant to us the ability to not be anxious for the future wisdom and understanding for the day, and hearts of gratitude for our past. As we look to our past to guide us, let us reflect on the convictions of those who have gone before us. I believe no one can read the history of our country without realizing that the good book and the spirit of the Savior have from the beginning been our guiding geniuses. She's absolutely right. That guiding force of Christianity was present uh, when we slaughtered all the Native Americans and took over their land, just like Moses did. <laughs> you know, the, the crazy thing is, is my dad raised me to believe this. He raised me to believe that God set apart this land so he could bring all the worthy Christians, and of course, in the Mormon theology, bring forth the new and everlasting gospel and it's because God had his hand on these forefathers' shoulders that we are now here. Now, the, the craziest shit about all of this is this entire meeting was to get together and discuss what was going to be taught in social studies concerning the separation of church and state. So, with that being said, why the hell are they having a prayer in a secular meeting? 
that so they <laughs> they introduce a social studies meeting in order for the board of education to discuss separation of church and state how that's going to be taught and they open it with a christian prayer oh hmm. god i wonder how that's going to go all right uh let's continue whether we look to the first charter of virginia or the charter of new england or the charter of massachusetts bay or the fundamental orders of connecticut the same object objective is present a Christian land governed by Christian principles. Absolutely. Um, whether you look at one religious charter, another religious charter, or this religious charter, or possibly this religious charter, none of which are founding documents in the United States. <laughs> the one founding document in the United States is the Constitution, which, of course, mentions God exactly zero times. Now, unless yeah, the Supreme Court... <laughs> Unless the Supreme Court is is judging cases based on this the Charter of Commonwealth of Virginia, then she can go fuck herself. <laughs> well, uh, she is in charge of the education board, so I, I have to fall to her side for this. She she knows more than we do about this. <laughs> I believe the entire Bill of Rights came into being because of the knowledge our forefathers had of the Bible. And their belief in it. If <laughs> the Bill of Rights, <laughs> it, if our forefathers were so knowledgeable about the Bible and the Bill of Rights, how come the Bill of Rights was a separate document? Why wasn't it just in the Constitution? Why didn't we just have the Ten Commandments for our Bill of Rights? <laughs> Why doesn't the the sum of the Bill of Rights say, "Do unto others uh, as they you would have them do unto you"? Yeah. yeah this is my vision of how the Bill of Rights came into being. Our forefathers went up into the mountains, God carved it on a stone, and then they got pissed off at the people and smashed them, and then, of course, wrote up the Bill of Rights that we have. Yeah, that was the first Bill of Rights, written by God's circumcised penis onto tablets of stone. Oh, so it was mushroom-stamped. Mushroom-stamped by God himself. <laughs> Maybe that's God's written language. It's just a bunch of mushroom stamps, and that's, depending on the size, you can determine what letter it is. Jizzed onto two tablets of stone <laughs> by God himself. So God's jizz is like the blood in aliens where it just kind of melts things? Yes, exactly. I'd hate to have a facial from God. <laughs> so uh, I love their knowledge of um, Christian principles in the Bible which uh, brings them to the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights, the separation of church and state. Uh, that's all over the Bible. I've, I've seen it. I think it's Exodus chapter 3. I like to believe we are living today in the spirit of the Christian religion. I like also to believe that as long as we do so, no great harm can come to our country. That's right. No great harm can come to our country as long as we maintain these Christian beliefs. Um, I'm pretty sure the early Judaic Christians believed that as well until the Babylonians captured them. Then what the hell happened? Why are we listening to what Cynthia Dunbar likes to believe? I like to believe if I stick my dick in a blender and put it on puree, I will come out unharmed. Well, actually, that, that's, that's the way to enlarge your dick. It's that the, actually <laughs> has no bearing on reality, but I like to believe it. It makes me feel comforted. <laughs> I think you should put that into practice. <laughs> no, you can't test these beliefs. <laughs> Yours, I think we can test. <laughs> of course, I'm not sure if it will reach the blades unless we chop the glass down to about two inches. <laughs> How, how's your curse coming along, speaking of which? Uh, no one's cursed me yet. I, I've still got about one millimeter. Damn it. All right, um, well, our computer's uh, totally fried, so we're going to have to hand-tabulate our votes. Uh, I'm going with uh, North Carolina. i got to go with uh, the global warming lady who believes that uh, all it takes to save these dying children is a dam. All right, let's tabulate the votes. Uh -huh, got some of that. Carry the one. Now, hold on a second. Are we counting just half checks, or do we have to scribble them all in? Got it. It's uh, the winner of this week's Mims Carter. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I'm not as smart as you. I, I have to do my math again. <laughs> What'd you come up with? Two. 
<laughs> the winner of this week's Mims H. Carter Skunk Dick of the Week is Facebook. I knew Facebook was bad. Fuck Facebook. <laughs> and why, pray tell, did Facebook win? Do we need a reason? It's Facebook. Not really. I'm, you know, I find it somewhat appalling that our fans made a Facebook page for us when both of us just <laughs> abhor Facebook. Uh, yeah, Facebook. This this was also sent in um, by a uh, listener, Emma. Emma, uh, yeah, the sarcastic uh, Australian who I want to uh, beat in the face, yes. You want to what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, beat her in the face. Yeah, Why? Women aren't supposed to be talking. They're supposed to remain silent. You know, oh pretty, God. but not her. <laughs> Quite apart from Facebook's privacy problems, Facebook apparently thinks that it owns everything that you put on there. Um, there was a Facebook fan group called Being a Decent Human Even Without the Threat of Eternal Damnation. That seems reasonable, right? No, Perfect. that's completely unreasonable. Uh, there's a little thing underneath it that says, uh, as of May 27th, Facebook has blocked our group for violating the terms of use. What, what terms hell? of use? Apparently you need to be religious in Facebook. Or is it that we offend uh, religious sensibilities by saying that we're decent even without religion? Uh, now, some, hold on some a asshole got offended at that. Wait, 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 wait here. Are you telling me someone puts a Facebook site up there called Being a Decent Human Even Without the Threat of Eternal Damnation and somebody strikes it from the books and yet put our Facebook page up there and it's still going strong? There's something fucked up about that. Someone is not paying attention. Yes. Clearly. Any of our fans out there, make sure you alert Facebook about our site. All right. The last thing we wanted to do is uh, go over uh, one iTunes review. Yes. The An Effin' Wonderful Podcast from Daniel. It's a five-star review. says we're a truly awesome podcast. But there's stipulations. The show does occasionally have a bad episode here or there. Usually... Those are the ones with guests. <laughs> he doesn't like it when we have people on the show. Yeah, well, I, I can understand why uh, the other people are boring compared to us. That's that's probably his reason. Well, he likes the skeptics. He just doesn't like the religious people we have on the show. And he loves Eva Vajalevska. Well, who doesn't? Uh, for all of our fans out there, Eva showed me an image of her wearing a, a hooker dress, and I'm trying to get it to post it up on the site. <laughs> With or without her permission. That doesn't really matter. But I am going to put her phone number underneath it so you can call Eva for a good time. Uh, so he says, <laughs> apart from the bad, uh, the bad episodes that we have, the only other problem I occasionally have has to do with Charlie. As for usual. For someone who has a philosophy background, he occasionally falls back on really ridiculous arguments. Um, he doesn't point out any of those ridiculous arguments, but... Um, I gotta tell you, uh, fuck these Thai children. <laughs> you know, it, it's not our fault that the Thai children are putting out bad stuff. I mean, as soon I, as Pakti died, we lost control of the Thai children. That's it. I am going to send all these, I'm going to package all these Thai children up um, in some bubble wrap and send them back to Thailand, parcel post. Maybe I'll poke some holes in the boxes. That leaves us without anyone. Well, who do you think we should take next? Because I'm not taking any more Thai refugees. Well, you know, uh, I hear China's got a bunch of smart little kids in there. Are they poor enough? I'm sure we can find a province of China that's poor. Wait, wait, wait. North Korea, they send their children off to concentration camps, so they'd be used to the way we treat mm. them. Well, <laughs> are they rigorously philosophically trained? That's very important to this guy. Yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, about all I pay attention to where qualifications are concerned are ass size on the children. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> well, um, we, yeah. we could... We could go with Vietnamese children. That's true, but they're a little bit bony. We're all right. Well, maybe we'll put it to a vote. The Thai children clearly didn't work out. We're shipping them back. 
All right, yeah, let's leave it up to our fans to decide. What country should we get our little children workers from? And with that having been said, uh, we have had quite a bit of criticism on our interviews. Is, is yeah. that fair to say? That is uh, apparently the 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 guest podcasts are are nearly universally reviled amongst our listeners. And um, you know, because of that, we here at Irreligiosophy we like to listen to our fans. And so we have decided, fuck you all. We are turning June into an all interview month. Absolutely. We're going to have nothing but guest podcasts in the month of June. Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, Mr. Daniel and all those others that complained about it, bend over, we're giving it to your ass. <laughs> Clearly we need more practice. We yes. may even have more than one a week. You know, I like this idea. You know, we should just base our entire show off of interviews from here on out just because of this. To all our fans... Uh, who uh, are groaning because we're going to do a month, uh, at least a month of worth of guest podcasts, I say, suck it! Suck it, bitches! <laughs> You're going to eat it until you like it. <laughs> so we're doing guest interviews until every single five fans of ours comes up and says that they love it and they want it to continue. <laughs> and then we'll think about stopping. Yes. Well, because after we've discovered that you like it so much, we may just continue. You never know what's going to happen on the one. We work in mysterious ways. Yes, you must interpret our ways carefully. Our, our ways are not man's ways. Yes, yes. So, for our listeners, as a, as a final message before we move on, if you're upset by this, then go cornhole Daniel for it, because it's really <laughs> his fault. <laughs> As always, we are, are completely blameless. We are the one true podcast. We are blameless and perfect in all ways. All right. Let's get on to the actual substance of the show, Selected Apocrypha. Which will probably be the last show we do without a guest. Uh, the Apocrypha are those books of the early uh, Christianity uh, that actually didn't make it into the New Testament. And I wonder why, after reading some of it. Uh, these are all fantastic. We're, we've selected for you two of our personal favorites, the Acts of Thomas and the Epistle of Barnabas. All right, um, the Acts of Thomas, we'll start with the Acts of Thomas. Right. Uh, this belongs to a category kind of broadly known as romances. These are um, kind of episodic adventure-type fiction, um, of which I believe we only have... It was fairly common in the uh, in ancient times but i think we only have 5 that are known to exist in complete form they come from uh, both greek and roman authors yeah are typically now, yeah. about lovers who are separated before they can consummate their love and they they'd usually celebrate that sexual union as kind of the bond that holds society together so it's celebrated in these romances typically the most well known of of these uh ancient romances is called the Metamorphoses of Apuleius, or the Golden Ass. <laughs> this, this is a romance about a man who saw this witch using an ointment that turned her into an owl, right? So oh, that's good, um, because I thought he had a donkey made of gold and was, uh, you know, having fu his way with it like God would. Well, um, like Balaam's ass? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well... <laughs> What he does is he seduces the witch's maid, but unfortunately she gives him the wrong ointment and it turns him into a golden ass. Now, <laughs> now you can bounce quarters off of that, I'm sure. <laughs> he proceeds to have a lot of adventures, including sexual exploits as an ass. And so he's having sex as an ass. Uh, and then is eventually... Is like two lesbians grinding together? <laughs> eventually he gets turned back into a human being. So if you're interested in that, it's the Metamorphoses of Apuleius or the Golden Ass. Maybe his sexual exploits were just bending over and having random people <laughs> stick things in. Unless he's grinding like a couple of lesbians, I'm just trying to figure out how the sexual exploit works. He, he has an orifice. <laughs> just the one. <laughs> All right, in Christian romances, as I'm sure will not come as a shock to our listeners, sex is to be avoided even inside the bounds of marriage and matrimony. So, legend has it that the church, the Christian church in India, was founded by Thomas, right? 
Uh, yep. Acts is the first account of Thomas's missionary activities, probably written in Syria in the early third century. Um, and in Syria, Thomas was thought to be Jesus's twin brother, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's what Didymus and uh, Thomas, or Didymus, Thomas, Jude. So Didymus and Thomas are what actually mean twin in the languages. Right. His name is actually Jude. Uh, but Didymus is, is uh, Greek for twin, and Thomas is Hebrew for twin. So Didymus Judas Thomas <laughs> essentially means twin Judas twin. Uh, which is, it, it actually brings up, which we've already discussed on the show, why there is a belief that uh, Doubting Thomas was Jesus' twin brother. And, of course, there's a whole theory that this is how they brought forth the resurrection, because as soon as Jesus died, his brother kind of took his place and pretended to be resurrected. Right, assuming any of these are real people. <laughs> exactly, assuming that. So the story itself um, begins shortly after Jesus' uh, you know, post-resurrection appearance and tells him, tells him to go and take the gospel of the world, right? So yeah. they, they cast lots, and India falls to Thomas. Thomas doesn't want to go. Jesus appears to him during the night uh, and tells him, you know, don't be afraid, Thomas. And Thomas says, wherever you will send me, send me, but elsewhere, for I am not going to the Indians. Well, and the right. reason why fuck he's so the afraid. Yeah, fuck, fuck those the Indians. Indians. He's no afraid because of the Kama Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> fuck those Indians. Um, <laughs> wh- wherever you will send me, send me, but elsewhere. Does that sound familiar to you? I believe this is an actual prophecy of uh, Meatloaf's uh, great song. And I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. So um, the next day, there's How a... How sad is it that both of us know that song? <laughs> <laughs> I just realized just how bad that is. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, um, the next day, there's a merchant uh, sent from the king of India. He's looking for a carpenter to build him a palace. He wants a big palace. So Jesus, knowing that Thomas doesn't want to go with India, but being the, the massive dick that he is, appears to the merchant and says... I have a slave who is a carpenter, and I would like to sell him. <laughs> and he <laughs> writes out a bill of sale that says, I, Jesus, son of the carpenter Joseph, declare that I have sold my slave Judas by name to you, a merchant of Gunda Forest, the king of the Indians. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, especially your preaching about free will yeah. and choices. Fuck you. <laughs> Dick. So the merchant approaches Jude and says, he points to Jesus, he goes, is this your master? Which is the same, you know, word for Lord. And yeah. Jude replies, yes. And then he shows him this bill of sale saying, I bought you from him. So now Thomas is fucked. <laughs> yeah, now, how many pieces of silver did Jesus get for that? <laughs> right! Jesus is like, hot damn, I could sell the rest of my apostles in the exact same way. Wait, wait, where way. are the rest going? I hear Persia. <laughs> so they sail away and arrive at Andropolis where there's a wedding feast. This is probably my favorite part of the Acts of Thomas. The king of Andropolis is marrying his only child as a daughter. And uh, for some reason, they're having this wedding feast. And there's a flute player who's very attractive, and she's playing a flute. But Thomas is averting his eyes. Well, yeah. I can tell you why this woman's playing a flute. <laughs> That's why Thomas is averting his eyes. He's embarrassed by the clear reference to oral sex by this flute player. I just meant she... Well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> he is... Um, so another servant gets really mad at him and strikes him on the head. He says, you know, you should look at her, observe her, for God's sakes. And Thomas says, my God will forgive you for this wrong in the world to come, but in this world he will show you his wonders, and I shall soon see that the hand that struck me is being dragged along by dogs. So, as always happens when you, you know, make a prophecy like this, that the cupbearer servant goes out to the fountain, and he's immediately killed by a lion that's just hanging out by the fountain. (laughs) But that's not dogs. (laughs) Well... He's torn apart by this lion, and some random dogs seize his limbs, and one of them uh, brings a hands up to uh, Thomas's place at the yeah. banquet. So no. within like ten minutes, the prophecy is fulfilled. I, I don't know how many people have seen a lion with its prey, but I, I really don't think it would give up portions of its prey to a pack of dogs that comes in. Well, lions don't eat; they just tear people to you know pieces and then yeah. leave. They they just kind of, you know, attack and then they wander off. There's no reason for their attack. So for some inexplicable reason, Thomas the servant is asked to offer a prayer over the couple. 
So he does, and he says, he prays that, you know, please, Jesus, uh, I would bless you that Jesus would do to this married couple what helps, benefits, and profitable, uh, is profitable to them. I have actually seen this before, where you go to a Hindu wedding, and all of a sudden they ask a Christian in to, uh, to pray over it. <laughs> Happens all the time. Yeah. So um, they are, everyone leaves then, and the bride and groom enter into the bridal chamber. And uh, the groom, right? Hot yep. damn, I'm going into the bridal chamber. I'm going to have About my wife. time. He enters, sees Thomas talking to the bride, right? Of course, yeah. this is this is actually Jesus because they're twins, but it looks like Thomas. So uh, this confuses the groom. What the hell are you doing in my bridal chamber? Talking you know, to my wife. You bring up a good point. So Jesus and Thomas look alike. I wonder what this dude thought when, uh, what was his name, Miss Dias or whatever? I wonder what he thought when Jesus was selling himself. <laughs> Jesus explains, uh, the one you left behind in the other room, that's Judas Thomas, my brother, right? You left and then he, behind in the other room? He turns to both of them and says, Know that if you refrain from this filthy intercourse, you will become hem- temples holy and pure. You will be released from afflictions and troubles, known and unknown, and you will not be involved in the cares of life and of children whose end is destruction. And um, while he's giving his speech, the clothes are torn off, and they aren't paying attention. <laughs> they're in, they're in rapt attention. Yeah. He's telling them basically, don't have sex. Yeah. He goes on about the kids. Right? This is Jesus's family values. Most children become unprofitable, being possessed by demons. Some openly and some secretly. And though they'll be healthy, they will again be good for nothing, doing unprofitable and abominable works. For they will be detected in either adultery or in murder or in theft or in unchastity. And by all these, you will be afflicted. So basically, don't have sex, don't have kids. They, they, they're terrible, they suck, they bring dishonor upon you. Forgetting, of course, that Jesus himself was a kid, and so was these two people that he's talking to. <laughs> See, I can understand his reasoning for not having kids, but the sex part, it, it's kind of, yeah. There are ways to get past that. You just have her on her head singing the th- theme of Rocky, and then you don't have kids. Bride and groom, of course, like any bride and groom in this situation, decide that Jesus is right, and they will live a life of chastity. So the, the scripture says, They believed the Lord, and they gave themselves over to him, and they refrained from filthy lust. Oh, they gave themselves over to him, so Jesus has sex with them. What? <laughs> That's clean sex instead of filthy sex. <laughs> the king and the queen come in at morning, but the bride and the groom have not had sex. She, she remains unspoiled. And what did they do? Check her to see? Yeah, they probably did a hymen check. Yeah. The bride says, I have said it not this husband and these nuptials because I have been joined in a different marriage. So th- th- actually, I think this is one of the first references we have to like a bride of Christ or giving up you know, this stuff so that you could become married to God himself. Um, I had no conjugal intercourse with a temporary husband whose end is repentance and bitterness of soul because I have been united with my true husband. I think she's the first nun. Impressive. I don't know what happened to the actual husband. She's all insulting him now. Well, maybe he married Jesus too. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm, I was just thinking about that. That would be considered gay marriage. Consider- <laughs> <laughs> the first, first episode of gay marriage. The first episode which Jesus himself yes. was for. The king is irate. He uh, rent his garments. Oh, pff, come on. The guy's in India. He's not a Jew. <laughs> What's he <laughs> renting his garments for? He yells to find and bring back Thomas, but Thomas has already sailed away. Now, the next episode, Thomas actually arrives in India, right? Meet, meets with the king of India. And this is why he's taken over. He's the carpenter's son. He's going to build him a palace. So Tom, Thomas tells the king how, how he's going to build this palace. The king goes, God, that's fantastic. I'm gonna, I'll give you, Thomas, a lot of money. And I'm going to go back to my palace. I'm not going to supervise anything. I'm going to go back yeah. to my palace and just trust you. That hop happens often when people shell out quite a bit of dough. Yeah, I just give you a shit ton of money to buy my palace and, you know, take, you know just send me some notes. Yeah, by so, the way, what was your name again? <laughs> Don't run away. Promise. <laughs> I promise Here's I won't run away. Big old fucking sack of money. <laughs> Don't run away. <laughs> so what does Thomas do? He distributes all the money to the poor. Like the dick he is. He doesn't, yeah. you know, uh, engage in this contract and do what he's told and do do what he's agreed and led this person to believe. He just lies to the guy's face and gives all the money away to the poor. 
Now I can understand why he was sold into slavery. <laughs> this is why Jesus knew something we didn't at the beginning of the story. That yeah. like himself, Thomas is a big fat dick too. <laughs> well, they were they were twins. They were raised together yep. to be dicks. So, uh, so you know, their letters back and forth. Thomas keeps giving the king updates. Uh, he writes the palace is almost finished, uh, but he just needs some more money for the final touches because he gave it all away, right? Yeah, so he sends him some more money, of course. Without uh, coming to check on the temple himself. That yeah. happens often, too. Yeah. Finally, he comes down to check on the progress. Nothing. Not even the foundations have been built. So what does he do? He arrests Thomas and threatens him with execution. Huh. I wonder why. Thomas was just infallible in that. He's going to be executed in the morning. Now, the king's brother dies. He's taken up to heaven, and he sees this magnificent palace, better than any of the other palaces around anywhere. And he says, I want that. He said, you can't have it. It's your brother's. And so he convinces the angels to send him back to earth. <laughs> Father of God. Uh, send him back to earth, and he can negotiate with his brother because his brother's really nice. He'll give him the palace, right? Yeah. What do the angels say? Pfft, why not? Go yeah, back. We got nothing else to do up here. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes back and uh, goes to tell his brother. He says, wow, I thought you were dead. Nope. But I went to heaven. I found out this magnificent palace, but it's in your name. And I want to I want to um, purchase it from you. And the brother says no. The king says no, and figures out what happened, because he had laid all this you know magnificent treasure and for him in heaven. He has a massive palace after he dies. So he releases Thomas, and so begins Thomas's missionary efforts in India. Well, see, th this tells us a lot about the early Christians, because when you die and you see somebody with a better palace than yours, you can come back down and try and buy it from them. Because God allows that. It has nothing to do with your own actions. It just means you purchased this palace from somebody else. And the angels condone it because they sent him down to try and buy it. Sure. You just say, hey, you mind if I go back and live again? Oh, hey, no problem. Knock yourself out. In the middle of this, there's this hymn of the pearl you know, which some people think that may or may not have been uh, part of the original story. Um, it, it really kind of is uh, Gnostic in its intent. Um, However, it was believed for a very long time. They didn't actually throw this out until the Council of Trent back in, uh, what was it, uh, 1545 or so? Yeah, the Hymn of the Pearl was really actually very popular, and so was the Acts of Thomas, extremely well, popular. Well, the Hymn of the Pearl is where uh, the Catholics uh, get their whole holy name from, because uh, there's, uh, what, what is the line? Uh, Come thou holy name of the Christ that is above every name. And it's now a theme taken up by the Catholics since the 13th century as the holy name and continues today. Yeah, I mean, the, the overarching story is that the parents send uh, this guy down to, to get a pearl, right? And um, amazingly enough, he, he forgets who he is where he is and why he's there and then they write to him and remember you know, he remembers and then he gives everything up for this pearl that's basically the story yeah and the best part about it is the hymn actually predates the acts of thomas they were just kind of inserted in right yeah it's stuck in there um and it, it seems it seems to me to be gnostic in character uh because uh, you know that whole we haven't gone over Gnosticism but the, the whole divine spark and you're sent down to the planet you've forgotten who you are and Jesus the Redeemer actually brings this knowledge to you and tells you who you are and once you find out who you are nothing else matters you you know you throw off this earthly coil and, and rejoin uh, the divine nature in heaven that's, that's very very Gnostic um, so it's interesting that while the church was crushing Gnosticism the Hymn of the Pearl uh, was, you know, very, very popular. Yeah, well, I mean, they were crushing Gnosticism, and the Acts of Thomas deal quite a bit with Gnosticism, and it takes them until 1500s to finally do something about it? Yeah, they, um, obviously they didn't include it in their own canon. No. Uh, they rejected it, and the, the answer Christians will give to you for, you know, we're making fun of the Acts of Thomas and the Epistle of Barnabas, they'll say, well, that doesn't, uh, you know, reach me because I'm a Christian and I just have to defend my canon. Um, but, you know, there's nothing, first of all, that separates the canon from the Acts of Thomas qualitatively. This is no, this is not qualitatively different from any of it. You have stupid miracles in the Acts of Thomas. You get stupid miracles in the New Testament. 
Uh, you got people dying and coming back in the Acts of Thomas, and you got that in the New Testament. Um, they probably excluded it from the canon because of its Gnostic um, character, uh, and and some of the things that are really, uh, you know, <laughs> stupid. I mean, <laughs> Jesus yep. selling his brother into slavery probably doesn't, you know, make Jesus come off all that well. Um, but like I said, qualitatively, there, there's really nothing different. And, and number two, uh, the decision to put in the canon uh, was made by a bunch of priests in the middle of the 4th century. So uh, it's essentially a historical accident, uh, what went into the canon what didn't. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, there is some craziness within the Acts of Thomas. Like uh, one particular section, it's uh, entitled, uh, well, it, it's not separated up, of course, in the Syriac version. But uh, this is kind of uh, the section they placed over it. It's about the dragon and the young man. And uh, basically, I'll, I'll read from it. It'll, it'll be real fast. This is the dragon responding to the apostle who was sent out, of course, Thomas, who was sent out to find out why this dragon had killed the young man. And this is the dragon's response. There is a woman in this place exceedingly beautiful. And as she was once passing by, I saw her and fell in love with her and I followed and watched her. So, of course, the dragon is a peeping Tom. And I, fa- <laughs> and I found this young man kissing her, and he also had intercourse with her, and did with her other shameful things. And to me, indeed, it was, um, er, it was pleasant to tell thee this, for I know that thou art the twin brother of Christ, and always bringest our race to naught. But not wishing to harass her, I did not at this time put him to death, so at least he let the dude finish. But I watched him passing by in the evening, and struck him, and killed him, and especially as he had dared to do this on the Lord's day, and the apostle inquired of him, saying, Tell me of what seed and of what race art thou? And uh, you'll never guess, but it turns out that uh, this dude is actually the seed of Satan. Ah. And so, although he was actually doing God's work by killing this young man because he was having not only sex, but sex on the Lord's day, in the end, uh, Thomas kills him for doing the Lord's work and then brings back this young man. That's um, beautiful. I, <laughs> I, I wept. I silently wept while you read that. Yeah, well, you know, I can awful condone dragons who are stalking women and then watching them have intercourse and then following the man <laughs> and killing Like I said, at least he let the man finish first before killing him. Yeah, that was a kindness. Yes. Well, that pretty much wraps up the Acts of Thomas. Um, let's move into the Epistle of Barnabas. The, uh, the Epistle of Barnabas was written sometime between the destruction of the temple and uh, in 70 A.D. and the uh, revolt of Bar Kokhba, the Bar Bar. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not the only one who has trouble pronouncing things. The Bar Kokhba rebellion in 135. Most scholars put it closer to 135. Mark, um, it is uh, virulently anti-Jewish, um, but was unlike the Acts of Thomas, considered scripture by a lot of early Christians. Uh, it is found in the Codex uh, Sinaiticus, one of the oldest uh, manuscripts we have, uh, 4th century text, uh, now located at St. Petersburg, um, you know, right in the back. It included all the books we have in the New Testament, as well as the Shepherd of Hermas and the Epistle of Barnabas. Um, it's in the Codex Constantinopoli. <laughs> yeah, let's hear you say that. Let me try yeah. that again. It's in the Codex Constantinopolitan. I can't even say that. Yeah, That's I'm, what, I'm glad that, you're trying it. I, I tried to say it, and I'm like, fuck this. I'm not saying that. That should be the name of our the new name of our show, the Codex Constantinopolitanus. Well, see, the problem is, is we would have to learn how to say it first before <laughs> forcing our fans to say it. And there are eight defective manuscripts um, which have part of the Epistle of Barnabas, it was actually quoted by Clement of Alexandria as scripture, referred to by Origen as a Catholic epistle. It's uh, uh, widely uh, considered canonical in the early church. Now, it didn't actually make it into the canon in the 4th century, but in the first several centuries, uh, widely considered canonical. Now, uh, the backdrop of this is that the um, Christians are this persecuted minority, <clears throat> and they are arguing about... Um, not being a new religion. 
And so uh, Barnabas, now it's attributed to Barnabas, the traveling companion of Paul, but uh, you know, given either date, it would be far too old for Barnabas himself. So uh, it's another one of these instances where it's attributed to the wrong person. But, you know, you yeah. got to pick someone who's really important so <laughs> it gets circulated and read. Yeah, what a, and, you know, it's interesting to me because you would figure these people would remember somewhat the timeline, but I guess not. There was really very, very little to tell time, especially among these. But, I mean, yeah, you well, you get... would remember the destruction of the temple happened well after Barnabas. <laughs> well, it's between the, the destruction of the temple and the, the destruction of Jerusalem 135. Because there's a line in there that says that um, he's expecting it to be built again, and once the Romans destroyed it in 135, they built a pagan temple on the site, yeah. and so after that, no one really expected it to be built. Uh, Basically, the full quote is: "Furthermore, he says again, behold, those who tore down this temple will themselves build it. It is happening, for because of their fighting, it was torn down by the enemies, and now the very servants of the enemies will themselves re rebuild it." Oops, guess that didn't happen. <laughs> See, and that just put my point into perspective. <laughs> I'll try to cut that off. Um, so what um, Barnabas is trying to do uh, is co-opt the Old Testament and make it look like that's Christianity's scriptures, not the Jewish scriptures. So his main thesis in this epistle is that the Jews rejected God, so God rejected the Jews. And and, and he says <laughs> that Christians... Uh are the true heirs to the covenant, right? Old Testament isn't a Christian book, or isn't a Jewish book. It's a it's a Christian one. Yes, I, I realize that, but I'm just thinking about the skunk dicks and thinking we should send them a copy of this. This this makes sense. They Yeah, they should. Um, now, of course, the Jews, uh, this came as a shock to them. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you, Jew, you Christians don't circumcise. You don't uh, keep the kosher food laws. You don't keep the Jewish festivals. So why do, you, why do you think these scriptures are yours? Barnabas says, you Jews misunderstand. Um, you're led astray. He actually posits that they're led astray by an evil angel into misinterpreting their own scriptures. Uh, <laughs> Something that they have had for a much longer time than the Christians. Right. So Barnabas is going to tell the Jews how to interpret the Jewish scriptures. He says that the laws given to Moses were to be taken... Uh, figuratively and not literally and the Jews screwed up by taking all this stuff literally so he says uh, for the kosher food laws these are not about what kind of food that you should eat but how you should behave and what kind of company you should keep so in, <laughs> in Barnabas 10 he, he says now wherefore did Moses say you shall not eat the swine nor the eagle nor the hawk nor the raven nor any fish which is not possessed of scales but he, he didn't said, talk about mermaids. He said, because <laughs> they have scales. Yes. He said he embraced three doctrines in his mind. For this reason, he named the swine, as much to say, You shall not join yourself to men who resemble swine, for when they live in pleasure, they forget their Lord, but when they come to want, they acknowledge the Lord. And in like manner, the swine, when it is eaten, does not recognize its master, but when hungry, it cries out, and on receiving food, it is quiet again. And what he's saying is, Go ahead and eat all the pork you want right have pigs eat bacon what god is really saying when he says don't eat pig is don't be like these pigs yeah and i'm i'm sure that went over real well with these uh these early jews especially considering this is the tradition they have carried on for years well clearly god could not have said don't be like pigs <laughs> he had to say don't eat pigs and made everybody think you shouldn't eat pork he goes on, Neither shall you eat the eagle, nor the hawk, nor the kite, nor the raven. You shall not join yourself, he means, to such men as know not how to procure food for themselves by labor and sweat, but seize on that of others in their iniquity. So he's basically saying these are all scavengers, and you shouldn't be a scavenger. That's, that's why Moses said don't eat eagles. So you shouldn't be a scavenger. Yeah, I, I can imagine uh, all the people in his hundreds of thousands following him were going, Eagle? We ate Eagle. all those months ago. Where's the rest? Eagle. Eagles don't scavenge, you dipshit. They hunt. Uh, crows, perhaps, is what he meant. Vultures. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Barnabas's grasp of uh, biology is um, not very good. 
So he says, uh, and you shall not eat the lamprey or the polypus or the cuttlefish. What he means is, you shall not join yourself or be like such men as are ungodly to the end and are condemned to death. In like manner as those fishes above accursed float in the deep, not swimming on the surface like the rest, but make their abode in the mud which lies at the bottom. Boy, that's clear as day. Oh, you, you think that's clear as day? What about when Barnabas compares Jesus to a goat? This is Barnabas 7, 9, and seven ten. What then meaneth this? Give heed. The one at the altar, and the other accursed, and moreover the accursed one crowned. For they shall see him in that day wearing the long scarlet robe about his flesh, and shall say, Is not this he whom once we crucified, and set at naught, and spat upon? Verily this was he. Who then said that he was the Son of God? For how is he like the goat? For this reason it says, the goat shall be fair and alike, that when they shall see him coming then, they may be astonished at the likeness of the goat. Therefore, behold, the type of Jesus that was to suffer. The goat. The goat. So he's not the Lamb of God, he is the goat of God. <laughs> behold, you know, the goat of God. That flows over the tongue so much easier than the Lamb of God. <laughs> well, he goes on with these, he's not done with the kosher um, food laws. Oh, sure and not. It, it gets um it gets better from here he says you shall not eat the hare so you can't eat rabbits right uh he says why not um you shall not be a corrupter of boys nor like such <laughs> apparently the catholic church didn't get this memo yeah, well this is the reason why they decided not to add this to their canon <laughs> <laughs> and he gives a reason because the hare multiplies year by year the places of its conception for as many years as it lives, so many it has. So apparently the reasons um, the rabbits reproduce so quickly is because every year it gets another hole. <laughs> and and that means that you shouldn't um, sodomize boys. <laughs> this, is, this should have been clear to the Jews from day one. Moreover, you shall not eat the hyena, he says. And what he means by this is, you shall not be an adulterer, nor a corrupter, nor be like to them that are such. Wherefore? Because that animal annually changes its sex, and is at one time male and at another female. What the fuck? <laughs> so, because, because a hyena, you know, one year is male and has a penis, the next year has a vagina, apparently the penis just drops off, shrivels up, and then it grows out again, and then it shrivels. Because it changes its sex every year, you shouldn't be an adulterer. Um, and this is what that's that's what God means by don't eat a hyena, and um, possibly my favorite. Moreover, he has rightly detested the weasel, for he means you shall not be like those whom we hear of as committing wickedness with the mouth on account of their uncleanness. Nor shall you be joined to those impure women who commit iniquity with the mouth, for this animal conceives by the mouth, the weasel. So, <laughs> so we can't eat the weasel because it gives birth out of its mouth. Well, we've just come up with um, another euphemism for oral sex. Eating the weasel. Eating the weasel. <laughs> From Thank you, Barnabas. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Don't worry, Barnabas. I will not eat the weasel. I promise not to eat the weasel, Barnabas. No, I, I can't promise the woman I'm with won't eat the weasel. But... <laughs> Those um, impure, wicked women. Now, I, I can guarantee you, Barnabas, I will be pure, but she may not be so pure. <laughs> he also thinks that the Jews misinterpreted the Sabbath. Um, you know, the, the Jews were unique in the ancient world in that they took one day off a week from work. You know, the, from work, the, the um, slam against the Jews is that they're lazy, right? And this started yeah. in ancient times because everyone else worked seven days a week. The Jews w took one day off, so everyone else thought of them as lazy people. Um, Barnabas like says, Bar <laughs> Barnabas says, the true meaning of the Sabbath is the world is going to last 6,000 years, then there'll be a thousand year period of rest. So don't, you shouldn't use the Sabbath as a day of rest. Really, it's just foretelling that once the world is 6,000 years, then uh, the next thousand years will be a millennium of rest. Yeah, that would suck for vacation. I like how God's doing all this stuff in code, by the way. Yeah, He's just, well, you know, it's like the Bible code. God's always done stuff in code, which is why none of us with an actual brain in our heads can figure out what the fuck people are listening to it for. 
Um, one of, well, possibly my favorite is his interpretation of the law of circumcision. Oh, ooh, I was going to go into that one too. Go for it. All right, my favorite is Barnabas 9.4. He saith unto them, Thus saith the Lord your God, so I find the commandment. So not upon thorns be ye circumcised in your, into your Lord. <laughs> and what saith he? Be ye circumcised in the hardness of your heart, and then ye will not harden your neck. Take this again. Behold, saith the Lord, all the Gentiles are uncircumcised in their foreskins, but this people is uncircumcised in their hearts. So basically, he's saying that uh, if you're uh, circumcised in your heart, you will not harden your neck. I, I figure he's talking about women at this point, because when you circumcised, your penis gets shorter, and so you're not sticking it all the way down the neck. That's less hardening of the neck. That does make sense, figuratively speaking. If they're going to interpret God in, in their way, I'll interpret it in mine. <laughs> he goes on to say that the law of circumcision is actually a prophecy of the coming crucifixion of Jesus. He says, Abraham first uh, received the law of circumcision in Genesis. He went out to rescue uh, his nephew Lot, and he took 318 servants to back him up. Now, uh, he, of course, circumcised all 318 of these servants in preparation for battle, which is, you know, what we did with the Thai refugees. <laughs> Maybe that's why they're giving us such bad episodes. They're pissed off at us. Well, it was probably because they were sick and weren't feeling very good. If... <laughs> He says, if you take the number 318, now in, the, in, in uh, ancient languages, it didn't start out with dedicated uh, symbols for numbers, right? They would just reuse letters. So uh, he says, if you take the number 318 and interpret the, those letters as numbers in Greek, uh, you get tau, that's for 300 in Greek, you get the, the tau symbol, and that looks like the cross of Jesus. And then 18 gives you the iota and eta, the J and E which is the first two letters of Jesus. Uh, uh, unprecedented specificity to this prophecy. Of course, Barnabas doesn't speak Hebrew, and the original language of the Bible was, you know, Hebrew or Aramaic. So that doesn't yeah. make any fucking sense at all, dipshit. <laughs> all this proves is that people will find whatever they are searching for. It proves that people have far too much time on their hands. <laughs> well, it, it's because... Uh, He's lazy on that uh, on that seventh day, or he has a thousand years to sit around and think about this. Um, Barnabas uh, concludes by saying that Jews have never been God's people the covenant, because God gave the covenant to Moses at Mount Sinai, but the people below uh, built idols while he was up there. So when Moses came down, he got all pissed off, threw the tablets down, and smashed them. And that uh, was the literal breaking of the covenant. And so they actually never were God's covenant people. It was always the Christians. I would say, uh, Barnabas, you've interpreted every other fucking thing in the scriptures figuratively, but that one you interpret literally? <laughs> well, see, you have to understand the Bible code. <laughs> what smashing the uh, tablets actually means is you shouldn't have anal sex. <laughs> Or associate with people who have anal sex. That's what that means. No eating the weasel either. Because smashing the tablets is figurative for packing fudge. <laughs> That's because the reason why the tablets smashed is they couldn't fit them in. It was already packed up. Uh, so really, you shouldn't... Um, you shouldn't pack fudge is what that figure But that's why made. Moses was so pissed off. He came yep. down, all the fudge was already packed, and he couldn't yep. fit the tablets in. He was yep. pissed. And the Jews have been misinterpreting that for thousands of years. I don't understand why they could misinterpret that. It's so clear-cut. It is so clear-cut. Look, Barnabas wasn't alone in this anti-Semitism. In the second century, Justin Martyr said, God gave the Jews circumcision to set them apart for persecution. Wow, that was efficient. <laughs> All right, which of you guys are Jews? Drop your pants. I need to persecute somebody. Uh, hold on, Idiot. hold on. I, I'm going to take around this tablet. I won't have my eyes open, and I want all of you to mushroom stamp it so we can compare. <laughs> how do you know how to persecute the female Jews? Huh. God is retarded. Yeah. He's retarded. Uh, Tertullian, in the early 3rd century claimed that Jerusalem was destroyed as punishment for the Jewish destruction of Jesus. You knew that was coming. Yeah. Uh, Bishop Milito of, of Sardis actually did a sermon. Um, I think it was an Easter Sunday sermon 
that claimed for the first time that Jews were God killers. Um, and by the way, um, Bishop, if you're all powerful, you can't be killed. All right? Jesus clearly committed suicide. That's the only way it could have gone through. God sent down his immortal son to play with people and just, you know, hurt Jesus over and over again. And it was Jesus who got pissed off at God, so he committed suicide. Yeah, so blame one-third of God yes. instead of the Jews. All right, so those are just two uh, selections from the vast array of Apocrypha. We may uh, get into Gnosticism and, and some of the other stuff uh, later on, um, but we may not. We may be too busy doing these... Uh, uh, guest podcasts. Uh, you know, like I said, fuck you all. You don't like our interviews. You're getting more interviews. It's kind of like it's kind of like my come. mother forcing us to eat sauerkraut when we were young just because we said we didn't like it. Oh Jesus! Your mother was a cruel, harsh mistress. Yeah, well, I discovered while cleaning up the plates that she was hiding her sauerkraut in her napkin. Just like a true Christian. <laughs> That's kind of like God in many ways. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go barbecue some weasels. Um, We'll see you guys next week. Poor weasel of yours. Uh, No wonder you don't get much use out of it.